this may be the first time I've preached in the nave at this service with people here beyond our small group of choir and friends. So thank you and welcome. So today is Trinity Sunday, which always is a Sunday that's right after Pentecost. Um, it's the third Trinity Sunday in a row that I have been the preacher, which is not uncommon when you're the newer priest <laughs> in the parish. Although I think it just happened to work out that way this year. Um, but in any case, um, the Trinity is important to us. And so um, it's a big part of our worship each Sunday. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of the Trinity we bless in the name of the Trinity. We affirm our faith in the Trinity when we, see, when we say together the Nicene Creed, which we will do right after this sermon. And when we take communion, we do so in the name of the Trinity. So uh, what I'm not gonna do today is give you some kind of theological treatise or explanation about the Trinity, because for one thing, you really can't do that in the course of a 15-minute sermon. And, uh, if you would like that, you go down the road and take a seminary class and learn all about it. But uh, what I would like to focus on this Trinity Sunday are the main character traits associated with each member of the Trinity. Uh, we often hear a blessing or say a blessing here, uh, especially in our Anglican tradition, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And that actually comes straight from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Um, there's a lot of words of Paul that are woven throughout our prayer book. So first I wanna think about the character trait of grace, which is associated with Jesus the Son. Now grace in the Greek is the word charis or charis, which means gift. The gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. This highlights the gift of Christ to us, coming down to live and die as one of us, giving up his life as a sacrifice for us all. In my mind, this idea of Christ as gift is also really interrelated with um, pouring oneself out, or kenosis, pouring oneself out for one another. The character trait of love is associated with God the Father. We find several different forms of the word love in scripture, as you know. The one used by Paul in this blessing is agapeo. Now that word agape or agapeo appears over 250 times throughout the New Testament. So it's a really important concept. Uh, agape means selfless, self-giving love. God putting himself, or God putting us ahead of God's self. God giving up something for us. It's the kind of love we're exhorted again and again to have for one another. And then the character trait of communion or fellowship is most associated with the Holy Spirit. This is why we often hear about the Holy Spirit uh, being talked about in terms of being relational or being a channel of communication or being like the coordination between dancers. These are some of kind of the metaphors or analogies we use to wrap our head around the Holy Spirit. The word used in this blessing by Paul is koinonia, which is translated most often as a sharing, a sharing of resources, a sharing in ministry, but also of fellowship and communion. The Holy Spirit is what makes it possible for us to share the grace of Christ 
and the love of God and fellowship with others. So this morning, I'd like us to think about these three character traits of self-emptying, gift-giving grace, selfless love, and sharing-oriented fellowship, and how we are called to embody these three traits of the Trinity in our lives. So thinking about the Trinity not as something that is separate from us, the Trinity is how we think of God, and that is true, that God is a Trinity, a three-in-one God, but that we as believers in God and people who are in God are also supposed to embody um, this sort of uh, three-part way of living. We pray that the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. But what does it mean for those things to be with us all? We are so used to hearing this phrase, the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. We hear it so much in our liturgy that I'm afraid sometimes those words may lose their impact. What we're praying is that this grace, love, and sharing will be manifest in us all, that we will show the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the sharing or fellowship of the Holy Spirit as we act, interact with one another from day to day. In his dialogue with Nicodemus, which we hear today in John 3, Jesus says this, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. People who are born of the Spirit, who are living out lives imbued by and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Father and the Son will live lives that seem different. We will live our lives guided by this holy wind, sometimes gentle and sometimes gusty, but always we are swept up in it and swept along to be in the places God would have us to be and to be doing the work in people's lives that God would have us to do. So, Instead of getting into sort of the deep theology of the Trinity, what I'd like to do instead is to share a story with you today that I think captures well the essence of these Trinitarian traits of grace and love and fellowship. Now, this story is not my own story because if I had to come up with a story from my own life to include in every sermon, I would run out of stories at some point, or there always wouldn't always be an appropriate sermon uh, uh, st illustration to go with each passage. But what I have instead for you today is a story that's included in a book that I used to assign my students back when I taught intercultural communication. And it's a book that some of you may have read, and maybe you read it in school. I think it's frequently assigned. The book is called Black Like Me, and it, but it was written by a white journalist named John Howard Griffin who came from Mansfield, Texas, which is a little town uh, just south of Fort Worth. Now, Griffin was a journalist who often wrote on race relations back in the 50s and 60s. And what Griffin decided was that he would try to go undercover as a black man traveling throughout the Deep South in late 1959 and early 1960. And Griffin did this because he saw 
how time after time, whites would ignore or disagree with the perspectives of African Americans about what it was really like to live in a segregated society, no matter how eloquently or persuasively they wrote or argued their viewpoints. So as Griffin began his project in October of 1959, he wondered if a white man became a black man in the Deep South, what adjustments would he have to make? What is it like to experience discrimination based on skin color, something over which one has no control? How else, except by becoming or appearing to become a black man, could a white man hope to learn the truth? Though we lived side by side throughout the South, communication between the two races had simply ceased to exist. Neither really knew what went on with those of the other race. Now, while Griffin had good intentions, of course, he could not know what it was truly like to live an entire lifetime as a person of color. But for several months in 1959 and 1960, he actually took a medicine that darkened his skin and he shaved his head so that he could at least pass as an African-American. But he didn't change any of the details about his life or his name, so when he would introduce himself to others on his travels, he changed only his appearance. He was still John Howard Griffin, he was still a journalist from Mansfield, Texas, he still was a husband and a father. So what he learned as he traveled, beginning in New Orleans and then up through Mississippi and Alabama, all the way up to Atlanta, Georgia, is that he would be barred from entry to restaurants and hotels, except those run by and for people of color. He sat in the back of the bus. He could not easily find restrooms or water fountains open to him. He was treated rudely, called names, chased down alleyways, and found his life in danger on multiple occasions. So as he hitchhiked from Biloxi to Mobile one night, unable to find any lodging between those two cities, he found no shortage of white men who were willing to give him a ride. However, each one subjected him to inappropriate voyeuristic questions about his personal life, not to mention sharing their own racist views as if that was the price that Griffin, presumed to be a black man, was expected to pay for the favor of a ride down that stretch of highway. But then finally, someone different, someone pulled over to give Griffin a ride who seemed really different from everyone else. And so this is the story I'd like to share with you today in Griffin's own words. An old model car tooted its horn and skidded to a stop a few yards beyond me. I felt sick with dread at what this stranger would want, but I had no alternative. There was no place to sleep. Where are you going, he asked. Mobile, I said. And he told me to get in, and I glanced through the glassless window to see a heavy-set, round-faced, tough-looking man. And as we drove, the tensions drained from me. He was boisterous, loud, and guileless. And I could only conclude he was colorblind, since he appeared mostly unaware that I was black. He enjoyed company, nothing more. He told me he was a construction worker, and tonight he was late getting home to his wife and infant son. I couldn't get this rattle trap to go. I, have, I leave the good car at home for my wife. 
And so for an hour, we delighted ourselves with talk of our children. The experience of being a parent filled him with enthusiasm, and he recited the endless merits of his son and drew me out to tell him of my own children. I can see I'm not going to make it home without something to eat, he said. I'm usually home by six, and my wife has supper on the table. Have you had any supper? No, I sure haven't. Do you want a hamburger? Well, I don't think there's any place around here that would serve me. He's like, I'll, get, I'll bring it to the car. We can eat while I'm driving. I watched him walk into a roadside cafe. He looked young, not over 20, and I wondered how had he escaped the habit of guarded fencing that goes on constantly between whites and blacks in the South whenever they meet. He was the first man I met of either color who did not confuse the popular image of the thing with the thing itself. I wondered where he got this when I sought to discover the source of his attitude during the drive into Mobile. His background, his education, and his home were ordinary. On the car radio, he played with relish the blues-type music, and his TV preferences were westerns. Perhaps it was his religion. Well, my wife's a Presbyterian. Sometimes I go with her, but I don't much like it. Perhaps his reading. Have you got a good library in Mobile? I don't know. To tell you the truth, I think it's supposed to be pretty good. My wife reads a lot. I could only conclude that his attitude came from an overwhelming love for his child, so profound it spilled over to all of humanity. I knew that he was totally unaware of its ability to cure men, of the blessing it could be to someone like me after having exhausted and scraped raw in my heart by others on this rainy Alabama night. So when I used to lead discussions about this passage with my students, we'd always linger over this question that Griffin raised. What was it that made this one person so different? This anonymous young construction worker driving back home to his wife and baby son in Mobile is the person who came to my mind when I was reflecting on the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit. This man was running late. He was hungry, and he was ready to get home to his wife and baby. But he stopped to give Griffin a ride. And rather than asking voyeuristic questions or otherwise using his position of power as the white man driving the car to have some kind of control over Griffin or to demean him, instead, this young man enjoyed trading stories with Griffin about their children. And when he stopped for dinner, he made sure that Griffin would have something to eat too, even though the roadside cafe wouldn't serve people of color. He was just a husband and a father giving another husband and a father a ride, sharing a meal and a conversation. Just as Christ emptied himself for our good, so too are we to set aside self-centered motives for other-centered for other ones. Christ is the medium that allows humankind to see God and live in communion with God and with one another. Jesus, taking human form, allows humankind to see God in the flesh, in our own human terms. Connecting back to the Godhead's unity and diversity, this Trinitarian interrelatedness could even be said to be embedded 
into our own DNA. God is three in one. God is at once diverse and unified. If humans are created to be like God, then it's possible for us individually and collectively to be at once diverse and unified. If we are walking in step with the Trinity, then this self-emptying grace of Christ, this selfless love of God, and this sharing-oriented fellowship of the Holy Spirit can't help but, but to flow through us. We will be people who aim for restoration. We will be people who comfort one another. We will be people who agree with one another and live in peace. We will be those people who make others wonder what is it about us that makes us different, that makes us treat people better. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Amen. <clears throat>